Hello and welcome to Witch Please, a fortnightly podcast about the Harry Potter world. I'm Hannah McGregor. I'm Rebecca Blakey. And I'm Sylvie Binu. And today we're bringing you Witch Please's first ever mini-sode. That's uh, an exciting portmanteau I made up that is mini <laughs> and episode. Do you like it? You slay. Yeah, thank you. Did you make that up? Uh, I, maybe the internet made it up. I'm going to claim it. <laughs> Somebody disagree with me. I dare you. <laughs> So Marcel Cosman has abandoned us for adventures in far-off lands, but she'll be back for our next episode, the first of a multi-part series on Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. In the meantime, Sylvie and Rebecca, whose voices you may recognize from a heated debate about the attractiveness of <laughs> Professor Lupin on episode six, are here to share some of their thoughts on the Harry Potter world. And we are going to start off with um, a special edition of Flourish and Blots in which Sylvie and Rebecca are going to share with us their first encounters with the Harry Potter books. Sylvie's going to go first. <laughs> how wonderful. I think I just want to preface this actually by gesturing to a point that Hannah just made in her beautiful introduction, which is that I'm not sure if it counts as a heated debate if one person is not allowed to speak. <laughs> <laughs> Thank I have you. no fucking clue what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. Okay, so how did I encounter the Harry Potter books? I think I first encountered them... I'm 24, so I grew up with Harry... I am. Yeah, you did make me nervous for a second. Um, I am 24, and so I grew up with Harry Potter at, you know, my age. We, we were matched pretty closely, um, and I think that I first encountered the book... Pretty soon after it came out, because uh, a friend of the family named Rose is a children, or a, what grade? She's like a grade two teacher, and so she would read these children's books and then pass them along to our family, and so she told us all about Harry Potter, and I fell in love with this book, and when the second one came out, I remember reading it, and then all of a sudden, in like grade four, all my classmates started finding out, of the bu- out about the book, and our math teacher who was actually the school librarian, would read, you know, for 15 minutes at the beginning of each class, he would read chapters from the second book, and everyone was so into this book, and I just remember, like, grinding my teeth in the back of the classroom because I was so angry that other people (laughs) loved this book that was my book. You're so selfish. Yeah, I didn't want to share Harry Potter with anyone because it was mine. Once upon a time, I and my family... My two younger sisters, Julie and Alicia, shout out, love you guys, XOXO. Um, We had a great aunt who lived in the UK, and she would send us beautiful, glamorous things from the homeland, because as you know, Canada is a colony, and so we have to consider England our homeland. Mm -hmm. Uh, She would send us things, Harry Potter, the first three books, um, they were some of those things. So she sent us the first three books, my dad read them out loud to us, we all became instantly hooked. I have read them every weekend ever since then. <laughs> I know that to be not true. <laughs> That's a beautiful story, and I believed oh, every part of it. I forgot to tell you something. She's actually so English that she irons her bras. That great aunt. She's dead now, but she used to iron her bras. I don't even know what part of a bra you would iron. The whole thing. The whole thing. You iron the whole thing. I think I'm doing life wrong. 
<laughs> Hashtag believe women, okay? <laughs> Sorry. That's not a funny hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this has gotten really dark really fast. So um, this is a real, this is like, which, which, which please unplugged. Not after dark, it's, it's full on daylight. But we are, I did take the, I physically took the mic away from Rebecca because I'm not used to not being the boss of things. <laughs> So we're going to start off with a, uh, a special segment of Witch Please, which I'm calling Witch Please Unrobed. Um, yeah, right? Hot. We're going to hear what Sylvie and Rebecca have to say about Witch Please itself thus far. You might subtitle this uh, The Ways in Which Hannah and Marcel Are Bad at Reading. So <laughs> Sylvie, would you like to start us off? Um, I would love to start us off because I, as I have mentioned to each of you several times, I listen to Witch Please pretty much on repeat, and I'm not ashamed to say that, but it does, it does mean <laughs> that I have a She's, lot of thoughts. You're intimately familiar. I'm, I'm quite intimately familiar <laughs> with every single episode, and I have a lot of thoughts, and I usually just voice them alone at the computer as I'm listening. But now I have this opportunity, and it's, like, really overwhelming. So I, I don't know. I have a lot to say. Let's start with this one. Lucius Malfoy does not play an elf in Lord of the Rings. That is false. <laughs> I, I so did not believe Sylvie when she said this at the beginning of this episode that I indignantly looked it up on IMDb. Like, oh, you probably don't know how to use the internet. Let me show you. Um, and she's absolutely right. And now, like, I don't know the name of the elf who I thought he was. It's definitely <gasps> in... Contest. It's definitely in... Okay, so guys, in... Um, I think the Twin Towers. <laughs> Twin Towers. <laughs> Shit. I think the you second wasn't there either. the second Lord of the Rings movie, the Twin Towers. Um, <laughs> there's this elf who shows up somewhere, like at a castle, and he's blonde. He's wearing a blonde wig, so Whoa. that distinguishes him. You're narrowing this down quite well. He shows up and he's there for a while, and I think Legolas is excited to see him, and then he dies pretty quickly. How? And I like an arrow orc 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 okay. wizard. Okay, okay. Why would a Magic. wizard kill an elf? I don't I guess <laughs> Well if he's Soromon he would. Right. That's true. Okay. Yeah. Lord of the Rings yeah. is not Burn. the subject of uh, this podcast. Me. Roasted. <laughs> um. I feel like you can't reverse roast, so <laughs> I'm just gonna save that. Um I can't remember his name. I cannot remember the specifics of how he dies. All I remember is that he is an elf and he shows up and I don't know who he is and I thought he was the same guy, Jason Isaacs, who plays um, Lucius Malfoy, but he isn't. So, dear Twitter, please tell me who that elf is. I hope I've provided you with adequate details. <laughs> the other thing I was going to say was, Hannah, you pointed this out. Maggie Smith is a wonderful actress. She does a wonderful job as McGonagall, but she's just not, she's just not McGonagall from the book. And you pointed out that if we were to envision a black-haired Tilda Swinton, she would make a much better, well, a very different McGonagall. And I just wanted to say that that was perfect. And I clapped my hands with glee (laughs) because I remember when I first saw the Harry Potter movie, uh, number one, when it came out, being just outraged, like totally outraged that it was this sort of like light brown, like mousy brown haired, like elderly woman who just... Does she even wear her spectacles? She doesn't wear her spectacles. No. 
She doesn't. We just we just, we just watched, watched the first it. movie. She doesn't wear glasses. And it's like, that's her freaking... Fuck that. That's her, <laughs> you know, animagis marker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> There's a really interesting sort of online fan community that likes to reimagine Hermione as a person of color. Oh, um, great. Based, great. Based almost entirely on the clue that she has, like, remarkably curly hair. Yes, um, But also in the sort of very weird ways in which she's picked on as a character and the way her sort of, you know, she comes from a muggle background. She's over-enthusiastic about high achieving, which is often the situation that minoritized subjects are in when they're in, you know... The world. The world, especially worlds saturated with privilege like Hogwarts obviously (laughs) is. Um, But it also just occurred to me that there's no reason why you can't read McGonagall as black as well, because all you know about her is that she's severe-looking and has black hair. Mm -hmm. So there would also be, like, some wonderful, like, non-white castings of McGonagall as well. Mm -hmm. Do you have any other fantasy McGonagall castings? Oh, no, I hadn't thought of that, because I got so excited about uh, the Tilda Swinton casting. Another casting that you and I had talked about, Hannah, was... um, Instead of for Lupin, whoever they chose, who I thought was woefully lacking, we could have had Edward Norton. (laughs) (laughs) And and you you thought of Mark Ruffalo. Also not Babley. You don't think... Okay. Becca. (laughs) (laughs) Why doesn't Rebecca share? What do you want me to share about? Who you would like to be cast in any of these roles. Um, I would love to see Rosario Dawson as McGonagall. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, good call. Thank That'd you. Cool. Thank you. That would be very cool, I think. Um, I would also love to see Lucy Liu as McGonagall, TBH. That's a really good um, idea. I think that she would be spectacular. Um, who would I like to see as Lupin? I don't know. Who's sickly looking? Oh. But, like, sexy, right? Like, we have to remember that Tonks is one of the most badass characters in the series, and she's in love with him. So he doesn't need to be, like, normatively attractive, but there needs to be something charismatic about him. What about, um... Oh, he's too young. Never mind. I was going to say the guy who plays Kevin, and we need to talk about Kevin. (laughs) He's really sickly looking. (laughs) But but you find him sexy? No, I don't. Okay. I can't envision a Lupin as sexy ever. That's part of my sort of barrier to alternate casting of this character. Okay. All right. All right. What about what about Sirius Black, who I understand you were perturbed with the Gary Oldman choice? I am deeply perturbed with the Gary Oldman choice for Sirius Black. Alternate people who could play Sirius Black include Eric Bana. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> no. No. Um, why not? Hannah, why not? He's too... Eric, Eric Bana is very, like, blandly also, attractive. Also, um... Uh, what's yeah, his face? The Hulk? The new Hulk? Mark Ruffalo? I also suggested Mark Ruffalo as Lupin. <laughs> Mark so Ruffalo I could play Lupin <laughs> and Sirius. That would be a great compliment. I would watch... It would be baby for both of us. No. I would watch a one-man show that was Mark Ruffalo playing all the characters. <laughs> Oh my god, what if, um, what if, uh, uh, oh my god, what's his name? The guy, okay, do you know the movie where, like, there's a phone booth and a terrorist and, like, he's Irish and he's also oh, in, oh, um, oh, oh, oh. Col- Colm, Colin, 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 yeah, Colin, Firth, Farrell. no, Farrell, Farrell. <laughs> Firth, that's 100% wrong, <laughs> yeah, this is great, is there anything in the world more interesting than listening to three people trying to remember the names of actors? <laughs> Good radio. <laughs> All right. So, are there any are there any final points you'd like to add for no. which please unroped? None. Oh. 
I was, oh, I was just handed a sticky note that says... <laughs> Episode 2. Why does Hagrid say Harry is probably a, quote, thumping good wizard, quote? Um, okay. <laughs> I just, I just... You'd be a really good seeker. I just took the, the mic away because uh, they didn't know what I was talking about. But uh, I think it was, I think the reason I wrote episode two was because in Witch Please episode two, Marcel posed the question, why does Hagrid think that Harry would be a thumping good wizard? Like, we have nothing to indicate that he would be. And it's like, Marcel, please do uh, read more closely because <laughs> in the... <laughs> Somewhere, wherever she's listening to this, Marcel just died a little. I'm so sorry. You know that I love you. Um, Because in the first chapter, uh, Hagrid says, We think you'd be a thumping good wizard once you've been trained up. With a mom and dad like yours, what else would you be? And then a couple pages later, he says, Your mom and dad were as good a witch and wizard as ever I knew. Head boy and girl at Hogwarts in their day. Suppose the mystery is why Yuna, who had never tried to get them on his side before. Um, and it's because they were too close to Dumbledore. Mm. But also, I feel like we learn later that Harry's mom was sort of like the Hermione of her day. Mm-hmm. And we just, we are, we are given lots and lots of clues that they were very, like very, com- as you say, very competent wizards mm-hmm. and powerful wizards and good wizards. So I don't think that it's a stretch at all for Hagrid to say that we think you'd be a thumping good wizard, mm-hmm. Harry. Mm-hmm. So that's all I had to say about that. Because, as we have established, which please is a decidedly Anabaptist podcast, <laughs> uh, we are going to wait until later in the episode to do our sorting chat, um, in which Rebecca and Sylvie share some nonlinear narrative destabilizing thoughts on <laughs> the books and movies. Uh, why don't we start with Sylvie's points about the books and movies, and then we will move on to the surprise. Oh, yes. I'll go cue it up. One thing I was going to say is the movies cut out everything that's fun and wonderful about Hogwarts in the books. And I think that you've both sort of gestured to this in your discussions about the movies, but um, Quidditch is different. Quidditch is chaos. They don't show lessons. Like, they don't show Harry and his friends going to class, which is such, like, it's, it's such an integral part of the sort of wonder and delight of Hogwarts. And you you come to grow attached to Hogwarts through those experiences and you just don't get them in the movies because the movie is all plot 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 like you need to get from point A to point B and it has to happen very quickly and there's no sort of tender there's no tenderness <laughs> but I mean sort of furthermore and this picks up on a conversation that Sylvia and I have been having over the past couple of days even in the moments where they do try to add in these sort of like beautiful charming details they are far darker when visualized on the screen than they are in the book so for example today on the way home from grocery shopping Sylvia was reading the, from the first book and in the book Ollivander's is described as like super neat and tidy organized so well wands stacked up like in perfect order and in the book it's a fucking catastrophe it's like he's been dead and everything is shifted because the shop has endured countless earthquakes since like 352 bc or whenever it was (laughs) that it was founded in the streets of london and that infuriates me a because i love organization Mm -hmm. i'm passionate about organization wands are uniform Mm -hmm. in their 
They all fit nicely into boxes. Yeah, they all fit nicely into boxes. It's possible to have it perfectly organized, and yet they yeah. don't. And that blows me away, and I think it's stupid. And the only reason that I can, you know, like, in my sort of, like, fan fiction of the lives of everyone involved in the production of the Harry Potter movies, all that I can think is, like, maybe they're just, like, obsessed with the post-Thatcher era and everything has to look like there have just been, like, austerity after austerity measure over and over and over again. And I that don't has... see why witches, why witches and wizards would be quite impacted in the same way, though. Thatcher had a lot of power. <laughs> My sense of the aesthetic of the wizarding world in the movies is that they're going for a decidedly pre-modern aesthetic. True, yes. And that they're mistaken... They're mistaking pre-modernity with chaos, which as anybody <laughs> who actually studies like the early modern period knows, it's in fact like the period that invented order. Um, and I mean, you know, like we're not, we're talking pre-industrial era. So I get an aesthetic that wants to look pre-industrial, mm-hmm. right? Like the witches, the witches and wizards never had to have an industrial age right. because they never needed the kind of organization of human labor and environments necessary to create the productivity that capitalism thrives on because they have they magic. Have magic. <laughs> and yet, in the first movie, and I don't know about the second movie because we didn't rewatch that, but in the first movie, everything seems very mechanized. Like, when you go into Diagon Alley, it's the bricks sort of, like, shift away. I know that you and Marcel loved that, but I was outraged at... Like, I I hated it. Because they're supposed to just sort of melt away. And the same thing in Gringotts, when the goblin swipes his finger down the front of Vault 300 and whatever. Mm -hmm. It's it's supposed to melt away. It's steampunk. Yeah. It's too steampunk and not magic enough. Yeah, it's very mechanized, and so in that sense, it's quite industrial. Also, the other point I was going to make was, I 100% agree with you, if they're going for this sort of pre-modern aesthetic, what you're saying makes sense to me, but when we remember the third movie <laughs> with, like, the night bus... <laughs> meep, meep. <laughs> if you remember the third movie with the night bus... Meep, meep. Like, everything is mo- modern, it's the it's the, you know... The world that we know, it's the London that we know, but it's this grungy, horrible, dark, scary, totally ominous um, world, and and it doesn't make sense to me, and I don't get it, and I don't like it. The moment that really comes to mind when you think, when you, hearing you talk about the way the the more lovely, tender moments of the books have been taken out of the movies, is that when Harry has to spend, um, like, the last month of summer living in Diagon Alley in the third book, he studies for class and finishes his homework sitting at Florian Fortescue's ice cream shop Mm -hmm. and is given free ice cream and told fascinating facts about the history of witch burnings by this friendly old wizard who later on... Spoiler alert. You're welcome. <laughs> Dies. Um, and Rowling has recently <laughs> Rowling has recently come out and said that Fortescue's death is the only one in the books that she regrets because she feels like it was genuinely extraneous. Um, and that only matters if you start to see him as the sort of part of the loveliness of the wizarding world early on and instead they take all of that out and have harry living in the fucking horrorscape of <laughs> an inn that is whatever that inn is called i don't the even know leaky cauldron. the leaky cauldron it's called the leaky cauldron they're definitely better at reading than i am <laughs> but similarly like that reminds me of um tom because oh yeah 
you had talked about, and we had talked about with Marcel, how Tom is cast in the third movie, and he's sort of this... Quasimodo. Yeah, you know, he's not he's not a real character. He's just there as this further sort of... Horrorism. Horrifying wallpaper yeah. to Harry's experience. And in the first movie, he is in, he is in the first movie, and he's a completely different... He's been cast completely differently. He's sort of like this mutton-chopped Victorian-era innkeep, you know? Tootie patootie. So, Three-piece suit. again, there's this inconsistency across the movies, mm-hmm. but all, at, at all times it's sort of, yeah, it's sort of, it's sort of dark and sort of grungy and it doesn't, it's not consistent with the books. I would have done it differently. <laughs> <laughs> Were we in charge of the world, which we obviously should be, the movies would be better. Yeah. Preach. Yeah. So one of the things that we talk about a lot on Witch Please is the uh, the death of the author. We're very interested in resisting the control of rolling over her intellectual properties um, and, and instead approaching the texts from the sort of new critical perspective that really you only justify by close reading that we're too lazy to execute. Um, and yet, and yet... We insist on refusing authorial intention. But Sylvie has brought up a sort of interesting um, question about the first book that invites us to rethink how important it is to speculate about um, the author's role in the construction of the Harry Potter world. So I think that what I wanted to point out was, I don't have a whole lot to say about it, but uh, one thing I was interested in was rereading the first book, the opening chapter, it seems to me that it foreshadows a lot. A lot about not just what's to come in the first book, but also a lot about what's to come in the rest of the series. So, for instance, the one thing I was thinking about was how Professor McGonagall, in her animagus form, her cat form, she has these distinctive markings around her eyes, and then when she transforms, those are her glasses. And so that's something that we come to learn, I guess, in the third book, is like an important part maybe is it in the third book i can't remember but anyway like when we learn about what an animagus is and how you have to be on a register mm-hmm. and you have to have a specific marking it's a very so you can be identity. exactly it's a legislated identity identity you have to have a marking so that people can identify you and know who you are um so that's something that appears in the very first chapter of the very first book and i just wondered like is that something that rolling in advance knew she wanted to do to make significant or did she map backwards onto the chapter that significant detail and so I'm interested in like you know how how intentional is she with her sort of authorship in these books like how much had she planned ahead of time and my answer to that would be that I feel very strongly that Rowling is like super into the idea of herself as an author and with someone who has managerial control over the entire world that she has built and that's something that she very much still cultivates to this day despite the fact that like when was the last book published so long ago I mean the seventh book was published a long time ago the movies ended a long time ago also and yet like just this past week on the twit we have JK Rowling playing a funny game with the actor who plays Neville Longbottom about the fact that he took off all his clothes and looks pretty good in a magazine yeah but but that really that moment where she sort of claims this like maternal relationship to the actor who played neville longbottom was very perplexing to me because i was like you didn't write the movies he's in the movies you were not so many layers of mediation in between you and this you as a human and this other human yeah and to still claim control over it is like 
twisted and strange for me. Yeah, it was a really exorbitant mm-hmm. version of the way that she, I mean, people are constantly asking her specific questions about the Harry Potter world, which she always Is had. Dumbledore queer? Da, 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 da. Yeah. Her retconning is really interesting because this is like a, a single, I mean, retconning is a very, very common practice in comic book worlds but to have Mm -hmm. a single person in total control of the meaning of a world means that she can retcon whatever she wants whenever she wants and say oh yeah no there's a queer character oh yeah there was a jewish character Mm -hmm. oh yeah this guy's like this also did on twitter the other day but as we know harry potter has an amazing diverse chaotic Mm -hmm. fan culture that radically resists what is your favorite slash fic of harry potter let's just take this for a second what's your favorite sort of like head canon I'm really into, because of its um, darkness and because of how much I enjoy watching my friend Amanda Allen, I really enjoy seeing on Facebook when she talks about this slash fic genre, which is Hermione and Snape. Oh, yeah. Because my favorite has always been um, Harry and Draco. Also lovely. As a a ship. Like, that's classic. Classic. But there's something very gross about Hermione and Snape. That's a lot to deal with. Yeah, and it's you. It often involves um, like Hermione leaving Ron, like finding her relationship with Ron unsatisfying and leaving whoa. him for Snape. And I just find that very dark and creepy. Yeah, whoa. Also, I mean, I don't. I I totally would understand how she would find her relationship with Ron unsatisfying. unsatisfying. <laughs> but Snape, Snape, yeah, really? So <laughs> also, he one hundred percent does have the Rachel in the first movie. Speaking of the first movie, Sylvia and I have something that we would like to tell you about. I'm really excited. So I've been, there's a laptop in front of us right now, and um, I've been asked to to keep the recorder on while I watch whatever is about to happen in front of me. I would like to preface this material by noting that Harry is a despicable character, and I never forgive him for any of his flaws. I don't care that he's just a little boy. I hate him, and he is the patriarchy. (laughs) Feminism means never having to forgive men for anything. <laughs> now imagine a music, dear readers, heavy with cellos at a rapid staccato. Cellos held between thighs in a dark room. The little room of Harry's chest as he walks with his teammates to the opening gate of his first test of cribbage. They are a ragtag group of champions, this bunch and with Harry, the near-perfect new god, they know they will dominate the day. Harry is a world laced with rivers of wizardly blood. He is ready. So what we've just shown, Hannah, is an incredible production by comedian Brad Neely, who once upon a time was in a bar with his friends when they saw a man with a hood playing pool by himself with headphones in. And him and his friends were like, what do you think he's listening to? And they, as they were cackling to themselves, they were like, do you know what he's totally listening to? He's listening to Harry Potter on tape. And Brad Neely was like, do you know what I should do? I should re-record the audio track for the first movie and make it absurd. And so the result of that is Wizard People, Dear Reader, and that's what you just watched, and it's great. And my favorite part about it is that it sends up how just self-centered and awful Harry is. And the chapter that we've just been watching ends, of course, with um, Gryffindor winning the first um, Quidditch match in the first book. And he roars to himself, you know, 
I am a beautiful animal. <laughs> I am a destroyer of worlds. I am Harry fucking Potter. And it's great. And you should watch the whole thing because Sylvia and I are going to do it soon. This reminds me very, very strongly of Mallory Ortberg's yes. excellent series. True. Um, Anne Rand rewriting Harry Potter. Any what? of any, And also any of the texts from series. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Very similar. Just an absolute send-up caricature of who people are. Yeah. 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 yeah the Anne Rand series, the Mallory's Anne Rand series, is very much pointing out the way that um, Harry's sort of uh, <laughs> prodigal son-ish character fits very neatly into Anne Rand's sort of ideology of individual greatness um, and the sort of importance of individual greatness at the sac- the sacrifice of the many in comparison to the sort of triumph of the individual hero, which is in a lot of ways what Harry Potter is about. True. Sorry, I just paused to allow the storm of angry tweets to <laughs> lash against the windows of my soul. all right witches it is time for our final segment final revisions in which in this mini-sode rebecca has some questions for us so i have two questions for you um my first question is do you believe that the world building in harry potter is real life and if so as i assume is the case um Please tell me a story of a time that made this belief so for you. Who would like to go first? I don't understand the question. Nor do I. What do you mean by real life? Okay. So, like, real life is where we live now. Is Hogwarts Like, does Hogwarts exist? Are there wizards? Are the leaders of our nations brainwashed and conjured by wizards, Mm -hmm. etc.? I stubbornly refuse even the remotest possibility that Harry Potter is real. Much as I stubbornly refuse the remotest possibility that any fantasy novels are real. Because I am convinced that if fantasy were a real thing, I would be an actual witch. Okay, great. Sylvie? Similarly, I know that I would be a a real witch. Like, I... You guys have no hubris. I am quite good (laughs) at, you know... (laughs) Feminism doesn't allow for hubris. (laughs) I'm quite good at telling the future. Um, The only thing that would convince me, or perhaps the only aspect of the Harry Potter world that could be compelling to me, Mm -hmm. is the unicorns. Right. And I do think that they are real. I do believe that Harry Potter is real life. And the reason that I believe this to be so is that one time I was driving home in the middle of the night from work and I came upon a dog and a cat sitting and facing each other in the middle of the road, looking into one another's eyes. And I slowed down my vehicle and I stopped and they both looked at me in unison and then they turned back to each other. And then they turned away from one another and walked away from one another in completely opposite directions. And in that moment, I knew that Harry Potter was real life. And I knew that Voldemort existed because at that point, the series wasn't over. So we didn't know what happened. Um, And I got home and I left 
all the lights in the car on and all the lights on in the house on my way to my bed and I slept with all the lights on and in the morning the car was dead and I was late for work but it was okay (laughs) because Harry Potter was real life that's a beautiful story you're welcome I was like 17 um this is my next question it's stormy outside it's because the death eaters are coming you're both wrong Harry Potter's real life (laughs) my next question is what has Harry Potter taught you I find one of the most challenging things for me as a person who wants to enact their politics on a daily basis Mm -hmm. is to not be judgmental of or put off by weird people. Great. Um, I mean, I have this lovely privilege where in my day-to-day life, I'm surrounded by beautiful, intelligent, well-spoken, well-dressed politically savvy, interesting human beings. Mm-hmm. And that's... You are also weird. I, like, I think that the true. people I spend my days with are weird. Absolutely weird, but weird in a sort of quirky, charming, academic way. Yeah. Um, and that has to do with a lot of things having to do with sort of class, class. and... Education. Class, yeah, class and education and the way that sort of when you move through a particular version of the world, you do a very good job of slamming borders down around the kinds of subjectivities that don't fit into that version of the world. Mm -hmm. And I think the really beautiful thing that the Harry Potter series invites us to do is to look at people who don't fit in, people who are uncomfortably other, Mm -hmm. and encourage us to uh, recognize them as subjects with fully lived, rich, complex internal lives, and to, to, to encounter people in that way. I think that's a really hard thing. Like it's, it's an easier thing to do in theory and a very hard thing to do on a day-to-day basis. But I think that the books do a really beautiful job of modeling that. Yeah. Of modeling that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Of modeling what that would look like of modeling people failing to do that. Yeah. And, and learning to do it also like as illustrated with Ron and the house elves, which is later. Yeah, but, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We see people encounter, we see the children encountering people, you know, like Harry um, in the second book with the ghosts, yeah. right? Encountering people and not e- extending compassion to them and then learning gradually as they become adults how important compassion is and how important it is not to judge people based on appearances. I think that's a lesson we could all do to, to, to incorporate into our lives more meaningfully. Yeah. yeah. Sylvie, do you have an answer? Well, I feel like that was such a an earnest. <laughs> My answer is not like that at all. So don't okay. you worry about whatever it is that you have to say. I'm not particularly worried about what I was going to say, but I just feel like, you know, we should sort of pause over that delightful, heartfelt ode. Yeah, it's it was totally beautiful, Hannah, and I really echo your sentiment because that is a thing that is very important to me also from this series that I began learning as a result of the series. I feel like something that I have learned is you and Marcel talked about how spells are these strange Latinish phrases. <laughs> Maybe one thing I learned from Harry Potter is to read language as if it's not just mumbo jumbo, mm. as Marcel would say, and to like read, you know, like I was reading Harry Potter out loud in the car today to Rebecca and <laughs> as we do. <laughs> And, like, all the names of the authors of the, you know, textbooks that Harry Potter has to buy. Yeah, the guy who wrote the Curse and Counter Curses book, his first name is Vindictus. Yeah, Vindictus. So when Harry is in Di- um, whoa. Diagon. Diagon Alley. Um. <laughs> or diagonally. 
Brutsch. So his set books are, they include books such as Magical Theory by Aldebert Waffling, A Beginner's Guide to Transfiguration by Emmerich Switch, 1,000 Magical Herbs and Fungi by <laughs> Phyllida Spore. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty heavy-handed. Magical Drafts and Potions by Arsenius Jigger. Ooh. Uh, like, okay, so it's pretty heavy-handed. Some guys oh, yeah. just can't hold their arsenic. <laughs> uh, and Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them by Newt Scamander. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that Luna Lovegood ends up marrying a descendant of Newt Scamander and that there is a new series of Harry Potter movies coming out starring Newt Scamander set in 19th century New York. I Based on what? I'm so skeptical. <laughs> that might have all come to me in a fever dream. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that Newt Scamander is like an important through line in the Harry Potter series. That doesn't surprise me. So while watching the third movie in your fever dream, you <laughs> made this up. <laughs> and now it's returning to you. Okay. Now it's canon. Okay. Well, we're not going to look it up. No. Because now that we've been on Witch Please, we also can't do research. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I think, like, it's it's just interesting to be maybe more attentive to language and to see the world building that, that Rowling is doing as maybe a little more intentional. You have allowed me to segue perfectly into a special shout-out that I actually wanted to do, which was to Jade Ferguson for not letting me undertake a first book annotation of Harry Potter as my undergraduate thesis at the University of Guelph. So thank you, Why Jade you Ferguson. <laughs> it seemed like a reasonable idea at the time. I, I want to pause here and say that <laughs> Marcel and I talk a lot about pedagogy in Witch yeah. Please and about sort of models of appropriate and inappropriate pedagogy. And I don't think we spend as much time as we could acknowledging how our understanding of what pedagogy should look like and the ways that the Harry Potter series differs from it are based on real life models of great teachers um i know that both marcel and i were taught at the university of guelph by the great jade ferguson (laughs) um as were sylvia and rebecca all of us have been honored (laughs) to have this woman in our lives um and the incredible thing about jade particularly in this one instant that i'm talking about is like i can remember going to her office and being like these are my ideas that i have from undergraduate thesis and she didn't make me feel like any of them are were stupid now i feel like if someone was like i'm gonna do a first annotation and i would be like you're an idiot get out of here jade was just like you know like that's a cool idea but i actually think that your third idea is better than that one do you ever worry that any of your students listen to this podcast i don't worry because i know for a fact that two of my former students not only listen to this podcast but like tweet at me constantly about it one of them runs the tumblr shout out to jason purcell um and i suspect that other students do I am very proud of this podcast, and I think that it's the best form of alternative academic production that I've ever created. And if every single one of my students listened to this podcast, I would be delighted. Similarly, I was nervous at first about tweeting about this podcast on my Twitter, my Twitter which is my academic professional Twitter. Um, and then I came to the conclusion that I, I stand behind everything that we do here. <laughs> have no problem with any of this i am grateful to stand behind your shield um i would like to tell you guys now about the thing that harry potter taught me and that's just the 
pro tip, fun fact, Bellatrix Lestrange is the first entity I ever modeled my fashion choices after. So I want to give a shout out to Bellatrix Lestrange for helping me overcome my internalized misogyny about fashion. Um, so are there any final thoughts that uh, either of you have about the world of Witch Please or of Harry Potter? Do you think that wizards sweat? Yes. Do you think that Hogwarts has a mandatory sex education program? No. Why? Why don't they have it or why do I think they don't have it? Both. Um, I don't think that they have it because I think that the Hogwarts uh, curriculum has not been updated in 500 years. Okay. Um, and so they don't understand what <laughs> should actually be taught at a regular school. Um, like, see, like, I, I'm pretty convinced that at no point are they taught how to, like, like write a CV, right. like, or, like a resume, no. or like how to like make a food. No. Like we know that you can't conjure food out of nothing, so they should learn how to cook. Yeah, there should like, be like family studies, Yeah, essentially. Yeah, like there's also no, like they learn arithmancy, but they don't learn math. Right. And math isn't a muggle invention. Math is like useful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do you think that wizards do their taxes? No. Oh, that's a really that's a really good question because of the there's the, a bank there's a financial sort of system. In they place. could clearly just befuddle the bankers, and they wouldn't need to do the their taxes. Bankers are goblins. Sylvie. The bankers are, are Jews. Your mind, you can't mess with Jews. You ever yeah, tried to question. befuddle a Jew? <laughs> Obviously, you haven't because you're trying to right now, and it's not working very well. Is it? <laughs> I don't know the befuddlement spell. Okay, but I do have a question. My question is: Do you think that at Hogwarts? or in the wizarding world at all, they have any kind of provisions for people who are experiencing mental health crises. Because, like, Harry Potter undergoes so much trauma, as Mm -hmm. do so many of the people in the books, Mm -hmm. and they have no kind of... Like, when... Oh, spoiler. When Cedric Diggory dies... (laughs) When Cedric Diggory dies, everyone at the school loves this person. Do they have any kind of, like, grief counselors for these bereaved students? Yeah, is Madame Pomfrey, like, a master's of counseling? I do not think Madame Pomfrey is equipped to to help students with their grief. I'm pretty sure that the, the, like counseling system that they have in place is um dumbledore offering you like <laughs> shitty candy out of his pocket and like and spe- siphoning your memories out of your brain and putting them in a bowl so that you gain critical distance from your trauma basically <laughs> i mean the problem with the wizarding world in harry potter is that insofar it is as it is pre-modern it's also pre like a lot of the very nice things that we figured out about <laughs> teaching people which is that like maybe you need to have sex education and also <laughs> grief counselors <laughs> Also, like, I don't... Math. I don't even like that math that much, but, like, I think you should learn it. Yeah, you gotta learn it. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening to episode 6.5 of Witch Please. You can follow us on Twitter at ohwitchplease, or visit us online at ohwitchplease.ca. Subscribe to us on iTunes, and don't forget to leave us a rating or a review that makes us feel very good about ourselves. Thanks to everyone who has tweeted at us. You're becoming too many to name, by which I mean Marcel isn't here, so it's not (laughs) funny to make her try to name every single person who tweeted at us, so I'm not going to do it. But we love every single one of you, and please, please never stop. Special thanks to the robot of our hearts, Trevor Chow Fraser, who will be helping me to edit this in Marcel's absence. Um, We care for you a great deal, Trevor, and we appreciate all of the work that you do, even though we hate the patriarchy. Thanks also 
of course, to Rebecca and Sylvie for stepping in while Marcel went off to probably... My hometown. I mean, she's in Ottawa. I mean, that's both of our hometown. Yeah. Yeah. Our but hometown. But she's probably it's having, like, a really happen. sexy good time in an archive without us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How dare she? Stay tuned for our forthcoming extensive discussions of book four. And until then... Later, Later witches. witches.